Good morning. Did you know that the most important thing about you is that God loves you? He loved you to the cross and back. And part of his great love is that he gives you a life that matters. You never have to wonder, do I matter? Do I count? You are number one in God's book. And he gives you opportunities every day to live a life beyond yourself. I like to call it a legacy life. This is Sue Donaldson. As you listen today, ask God, show me how to spend today investing in people and your word, because both last forever. There's no better way to live. Today, I'm very happy to introduce you to Christy Boulware. She is fearless in Christ. I read that on her website, but she has a big story to tell you today. And um, I was just telling her, I think that uh, anxiety is quite prevalent and she calls it uh the modern disease is that what you said something the bigger like that. pandemic the bigger <laughs> pandemic yeah i like that better the bigger pandemic christy would you just begin uh by telling us a little bit about your family where you live and uh, then we'll get into your story your book she'll be doing a book giveaway which is brand new this year and uh, then we'll talk about legacy towards the end so christy welcome Thank you, Sue. Thank you for having me. Okay, a little bit about me. So I am 41 years old. I have an amazing, I call him a hunky husband. He's just the best, godly, incredible man. We have three beautiful children and they're all in different stages right now, Sue. Mm. We've got a high schooler, a middle schooler, and then an elementary school. So that's been real fun, just kind of journeying through uh, having children in all those different stages. And I am the founder and president of Fearless Unite, which is the nonprofit organization that I run. My husband works in medical sales and we just live a busy, full, awesome mm. life. Wow. And what town? We're in St. Louis. We're in near St. Louis. Yeah. Okay. So big, big Cardinals fans here. Big Cardinals. <laughs> Good for you. Well, we're big sports fans. I don't know anything about the Cardinals. I'm sorry. We're more <laughs> college football. Woo, that's yeah. good too. That's yeah. good too. Uh, our kids went to Oregon, USC, and Penn State. So there's always oh. something fun going on. And of course, we're broke. But um, yeah, great schools, great children. And we have three as well, uh, a little older. And um, Christy wrote this book called Nervous Breakthrough. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Finish, finish the title for us for, for me. Finding Freedom from Fear and Anxiety in a World that Feeds It. Oh, the world does feed it, doesn't it? Even even for Christians, isn't it interesting that God does not um, set up these walls around us that that still seeps in all this uh, anxiety and fear? I have some questions for you. Anxiety seems to be a modern disease. Do you believe that's true? I do. I absolutely do. And I think, okay, so you mentioned something that was really, really brilliant, but Christians (laughs) are still dealing with fear and anxiety. Oh, yeah. And so I believe there's going to be so many great people that have surrendered or given their life to Jesus. We're going to see them in heaven, but they're still walking around completely fearful and completely anxious. So I did a little word study on this. And in the New King James, there's 404 references of fear. Mm. Okay. So um, some of those are in regards to fear, which is reverence and awe of God. Mm. But most of them are about fear. Be, do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. Do not be worried. Don't, you know, so all this. So th- the way that I look at it is it's not that we're going to live a life free of fear and anxiety, but we can learn to fear less. The more that our faith grows in Jesus Christ, the more we learn to build those faith muscles, the less we will be afraid. Mm. And I think 
that he works on different areas in our life. For example, so for me, I really, I, I struggle with medical concerns and fear of, of those types of things. Any, anything around that for myself or my loved ones, my children are big triggers for me. And then also relationships. If I, if I'm walking through conflict with, I have, um, I have a big fear of betrayal. Um, so I get very concerned and worried about relationships breaking up or people stabbing me in the back. And so those are the types of things that really, uh, that, that like just rise up fear inside of me. Isn't it interesting how some things don't bother other people a bit and yet something else, like even a fear of flying. I was, I'm always surprised when I, find someone my age who won't fly, you yeah. know, because they're afraid of it. I thought, Hmm, when did you, why don't you get over that? And yeah. yet they might say that to me about a fear uh, that I might have. We started by asking, do you believe it's uh, a modern disease? Why are people more anxious today? And I don't mean just the, from the coronavirus, why are people more anxious today? You think than a hundred years ago, or did they just mask it? Or were they just, I always think, um, they were so concerned with just getting food on the table that they didn't have time to care about their internal anxiety about, you know, Googling some disease and how we're going to get it 15 different ways. It's a really good question. I think we in general have a surrender problem. I'm going to read you a few slogans. Okay. Tell me if you know these ones. Just do it. Who's mm -hmm. that? Nike. Uh, right? Nike, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have it your way. Burger uh, King. Yes. There we go. I need to give you time to answer the question. Yes, so you do. <laughs> Go ahead. I might not know the next one. <laughs> because you're worth it. Oh, that's L'Oreal? Yes. Yes. Uh, for everything else, there's... I don't know that one. MasterCard. Oh. And then a diamond is forever. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I was doing research and you, you asked me why is it such... A, I think it's a surrender issue. We are very selfish. And that's a lot of my story. And we want to do things our way. And it's so interesting because Matthew 16, 24 through 25, it's not a very popular verse, but it's like, take up your cross mm -hmm. and follow me. Mm -hmm. And it says, you must give up your own <laughs> way, your own mm -hmm. way. And so mm -hmm. I think that we want to do it our way because we think our ways are higher, our ways are better. And really we don't want to surrender to the fact that Jesus ways are higher and Jesus ways are better. And I think we just have this like selfish desire just kind of built into us to want to have it our way and just do it and go be a boss babe and, and get things done. And, and, and we don't want to live the surrendered life to Jesus and take up our cross to follow mm -hmm. him. And so it's like, I wanted to name my book like a self-help label because I knew more people would read it, yeah. but you know, <laughs> surrender to Jesus Christ. There is no label that that wouldn't sell any books at all. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just laying down this, this idea of self and that we can do it and that we're strong enough and really turning towards surrender. And when we'll do that, things start to change in terms of the peace that will, that you'll be able to walk out in your life. Mm. Um, someone near and dear to me was complaining about a friend of hers who was suffering from anxiety, but he was turning to um, meditation and breathing exercises, but he refused to turn to God. And I said to her, well, it's because those things don't ask anything of him, whereas God asks all yeah. of us, all of us. Uh, one of my favorite surrender stories is, I think, from Oswald Chambers, where he says, I climb up I, I give myself to God on the altar, but I keep crawling off the altar. Yeah. And so I think it's a, 
ongoing as someone who's 70. I loved it that you started with your age because sometimes I ask permission. Can I tell their, ask your age? I interviewed a 36-year-old last week and then a 31-year-old again, younger and younger. Um, but um, I love saying my age because at least hopefully we're growing closer to God through the ages and maybe not, but uh, that's what I'm talking about next week. I mean, we're all going to be older by lunch or you by dinner since you're in the Midwest. Uh, so we better be looking more like Christ. And I think to to um, refer to your surrender uh, theme, that's a that's a beautiful section. And we don't we like it when we're willing or when it's something that's easy. But if it's having to do with our children, perhaps yeah. I heard a missionary years ago who said, you know, I don't mind going to the mission field for me. But if my children get hurt, that was her hardest thing. And I'm now, as a mother now, I understand that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Tell uh, us a little bit about your story as far as why you decided to write this book and that you head up a, a nonprofit. So for all of my life, I was a go-getter and <clears throat> I was addicted to success. I was addicted mm -hmm. to achievement. Um, that became the drug my soul lived for. It's just more, more, more success, more. Uh, so it's important to note that I was not a Christ follower until I had my nervous breakdown. So my whole <laughs> life, I um, knew about God. I didn't have a problem with God. I wasn't an atheist. I thought he was cool. I thought he was a good guy, but it wasn't something that I needed because I was superwoman and I didn't need anybody to tell me what to do or show me where to go because I was self-sufficient, self-reliant and pretty good on my own. And so that. Tell that me, tell me uh, how much you knew about God at that time. Did you know that he loved you and had died for you or no? Were you completely oblivious? I grew up Catholic, so my my walk with the Lord was tradition. It was about okay. Christmas, Easter only. I called myself a CEO Christian. You know, I only went <laughs> Christmas, Easter only. And so knowing the love of Jesus, knowing that he died for me, no, I did not know the gospel. I didn't know that at mm -hmm. all. I knew he existed and I wasn't going to rebuke him, but I didn't right. need him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I go... I, this, this kind of self-reliance follows me all throughout. Um, I get married. I wind up getting a really successful job in medical sales, work my way up the ladder. And now I'm managing the whole uh, sales team at this point. And I'm making, you know, six figures at 25 years old and just super, super doing, doing great. Wonderful husband, two great children at the time. We get to do nice things. So I'm vacationing on the sunny beaches of Cancun. I'm sipping on a cocktail and I'm, and I'm reading, you know, people magazine again, I'm not a Christian at this mm -hmm. point. Okay. And, uh, I, I think Christians read people magazine. They probably do. You're right. <laughs> right. I, I, still temp get tempted to pick the pick it up and read it <laughs> you're right I just never know if I what I'm reading is true so why waste your time <laughs> that's a good point that's yeah. a very good point mm -hmm. but anyway uh so I wind up having my first panic attack in the sunny beaches of Cancun and Mexico I don't know what it is but I have this intense I got to get out of here now my wow. chest gets tight I've got heart palpitations I actually started throwing up and I can't breathe. So hmm. all this is happening and I have no idea what it is. Hmm. So it takes about 20 minutes. I go back and I re reconvene with my friends and my husband. I was like, I have no idea what just happened to me, but that was weird. And they're like, oh, you're in Mexico, bad food, bad water. Oh yeah, of course. Like, of course right? they would think you know? that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then honestly, I, I get home, I land in St. Louis and I turn on my phone to see how much work I had missed. I had over 200 emails, all kinds of fires I had to, and all of a sudden I started seeing black dots in my eye. Oh, wow. And then I had like, um, mm. you know, have you ever, um, 
been in a car and you had to slam on your brakes and all of a sudden yeah. like a jolt of adrenaline comes through mm-hmm. your body. Yes. And you feel the tingles tingly, and tingly. Yes. Okay. So that's what I had on the right side of my body. That is oh, the best way I can explain that it. That could be a heart, would that be a heart attack or that's the left side? Well, yeah, well, I'm not sure, but it continues for three days and it gets worse and worse and worse. I'm having a hard time breathing. Finally call my primary care physician. He says, I think you're having a stroke, Christy. You need to go to the emergency room right now. So of course I get- Christy, why did you wait three days? I mean, I get, I get oh, bothered gosh. with a hangnail. I'm sorry. And I'm married to a doctor. Um, and he would just say, take an aspirin. But actually hearing those, he might ask me to go to the doctor or at least talk to him about it. Why did it take you three days? You were too busy probably, huh? I was busy. I had a lot of work to do and I was scared. I didn't want to come face to face with the fact that something could be wrong with me. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. denial Hmm. is a way to deal with weird things that are going on in your body. Oh, totally. Denial is one of our best behaviors to not admit something's wrong. And I was a workaholic and had, I didn't have time. So mm-hmm. of course at 3 a.m. when you can't breathe and you can barely move your right side of your body, you got to do something. Sure. So the story continues. I get admitted to the hospital. They do the whole thing, MRI, cardiac screening, blood work, all the stuff. It takes, you know, a few days to get all that back um, at the time. And, you know, the doctor comes back in and I'm, I just never forget this. He looks at me and said, Christy, you're fine. Nothing's wrong with you. You're actually having panic and anxiety. And I wanted to punch the doctor. Of course. Because I was like, no, you don't understand, doctor. No, you come closer. Like, I'm dying. Something is wrong. Something is severely wrong with me. Hands me a prescription for a bottle of Xanax. And he says, no, it's time for you to go home. Just follow up with your primary care physician. Were you uh, fighting his diagnosis because you didn't want to admit it was panic or you had never heard of panic attacks before? Or you were thinking you were above that? question. I think at first it was this doctor doesn't know what he's talking about. There's, Mm -hmm. there is something wrong with me. Surely you're missing something. I was Mm -hmm. convinced that I was having a heart attack or something was wrong with me. And then the second part of that would be pride. It was Mm -hmm. like, no, 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 no. Like Mm -hmm. I've got this all figured out all together. This cannot be happening because of anxiety, because I'm better than anxiety. And mm-hmm. actually the, that, that thought continues once I did follow up with my primary care physician and he's thumbing through my records at this point. And he's just like, Christy, have you had, have you had a big traumatic you know, loss in your family? No doc, everything's fine. Okay, Christy. Well, are you having financial hardship? Nope. Nope. Better than I've ever been. How's your work life? It's great. I'm doing great. I'm kicking butt and taking names, you know? And then he just looks at me and goes, well, how many hours of work do you week? And I'm like, oh, you know, like busy is a badge of honor for me. At yes, that point. of course. And I'm, I'm like, well, you know, 80 hours or so or whatever. And he just kind of takes a pause and he looks at me and says, Chris, you have severe panic and anxiety disorder. I'm like, wow. Yeah. So and the he world figured that out for the number of hours you work. And my symptoms and what was happening mm-hmm. to me and mm-hmm. looking at my, you know, mm-hmm. admission. And it's important to note that my, my symptoms did not subside. They got worse. Mm. So I had three weeks of hell in my bedroom where I could not leave my bedroom. My parents had to come and watch my children for wow. me and the darkness, suicidal thoughts, back-to-back panic attacks. I mean, it was one of the most dark and ugly times of my life. Hmm. Wow. Um, I imagine someone listening today has experienced at least part of that. Um, what helped you? The first thing that helped me was praying with my husband. And hmm. it's important to note that we had never prayed together as a married couple up to this point. 
And what caused him to pray for me is he saw that I put a blanket over his hunting guns that were in the corner of our bedroom. Now they're not loaded or anything, but he Mm -hmm. had them stationed there. And I was tempted to use them in some of my really severe parts. So when I had blankets over the guns and he came home into my bedroom that day, our bedroom, and he said, why are there blankets on my hunting guns? And I just broke down and I said, because I'm tempted to use them. I don't know that I'm going to make it out of this. Hmm. If this is going to be my life forever, I Hmm. don't think I can do it. I think that's one of the hardest things when we're in any type of crises is to, to not know when it's going to end. And that would make you panic more, I would guess. Yeah, because this is ever going to end. Fear of the fear. Right. Fear of the anxiety. If Mm -hmm. it once one panic attack would stop, another one was coming. And Mm. the science behind all of that is I was stuck in overdrive. So Mm. for years and years and years and years of being a workaholic, my body was stuck in flight or flight. So I have tons of adrenaline and cortisol going through my body. And what wound up happening is when I rested in Cancun, my body looked at rest as a threat because it wasn't used to that. So that was the science behind what was actually happening. So for my overachiever workaholics that are listening right now, please slow down. Please Mm -hmm. take time to rest. It's so important that we don't overwork our bodies like that. All right. I have something to say to you, which is not in my notes, but I see this culture of self-care becoming idolatry. People are always saying, make sure you take care of yourself. Now, I am one to talk because I get regular pedicures And I told my friend on my 70th birthday that I was planning to get a back massage once a month. Has it happened? No. But I am working towards that. So I am a hypocrite even saying that. But I do get a little concerned when people are always saying, take care of yourself. Obviously, you needed to take care of yourself. What are your thoughts on self-care? I think that anything that we turn to before we turn to Jesus is an idol in our life. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to turn to the massage or the pedicure or, you know, the yoga or whatever it is that you feel like is going to bring you peace and Zen before you turn to the actual person of peace, who is Jesus Christ, then Mm. we're, we're, we're in trouble Mm. now. What I love is our savior was great at self-care. Yeah, you me too. When, when John the Baptist got beheaded, what did he do? He went away and he prayed. And mm-hmm. after, and he the- took naps. He took naps. In the middle of storms. Storms. <laughs> he did, yeah. and he went up to the mountaintop to pray. Mm-hmm. And before he chose the, the, the disciples, he had a night away in prayer. Like, mm-hmm. so, so what are we doing to self-care? Mm-hmm. Is it, is it, is it? just to get our nails done because we want to have it our way? Or is it because we, we are, you know, masking something. And I I think, can we take time with Jesus first? And as long as we're doing that, then I think a massage and maybe going to get your nails done is pretty harmless. But Tell me your story uh, from that point when he prayed with you or you prayed with your husband. Um, How did you learn the gospel? So, What's so beautiful about that is Troy prayed over me Mm -hmm. and it was powerful. I felt the presence of God in that moment. Like I've never felt it before. Hmm. And I slept for the first time in three weeks. I was able to eat the next day. So I was equating the fact that prayer was powerful. And now what? So what happened after that was my surrender moment. So in Hmm. 2000, okay. So the breakdown happens in 2011, but in 2007, I had confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart that Jesus was Lord. Okay. So I did. 
I had prayed the, the, the salvation prayer yet. No fruit came from that prayer because I kept living for myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't have anybody to disciple me, okay. not blaming anyone. I was just sure. as much responsible, but in 2011, it became a, I didn't even know what I was praying, but the very next day in between panic attacks down on my knees, I looked up at this little Catholic cross that I had above my bathroom wall. And I said, God, if you're real, please help me. I can't do this Mm -hmm. anymore. And I promise you, Lord, if you'll just get me through this, I will dedicate my life to you. Hmm. I didn't know what I was praying. No, that (laughs) he may do on that promise. Mm -hmm. And he, from that point forward, little mini miracles started to take place. A friend that I hadn't talked to in college from 10 years, we, we got connected. Turns out she went through severe panic and anxiety disorder. She unloaded all of these amazing Christian resources. And she said to me, Christy, you will not make it through this without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hmm. Make that number one priority. So I got Hmm. her speaking into me. I've got my church small group people that I had never cared to go to small group with, but all of a sudden they're showing up and they're praying for me. I've got family members that I didn't even know prayed are praying for me. So it was Hmm. just the little small steps of obedience to where, um, I, I, I think surrender is a daily choice and it became a daily choice for me where Mm -hmm. I would say, okay, God. And so I just started reading the Bible, learning to pray and, and being discipled by people around me and slowly, but surely our relationship with Jesus Christ grew. Uh, you explain it as slowly, but surely, and that truly is the way that we progressed becoming more like Jesus and really just believing his promises. And surrender is something daily, but you had a very big, a big life, a big life that you had created. How hard was that to let that go as far as um, not depending on yourself, but depending on God? Does it still creep up every once in a while? Well, I'm, I'm doing this pretty darn good. And um, do you find yourself being tempted by that? Absolutely. And what's really interesting is after the nervous breakdown happened, I kept feeling these promptings that I was going to have to give up my career in sales. Mm. And uh, so it took me two years to be obedient to that. But I finally did step down as medical sales manager. And that was one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make, Mm. knowing that you know, I'd got my master's and had worked really hard and didn't know where the next paycheck was going to come from. My, my husband had a great job, but it was one of those things where I was so self-sufficient and self-reliant that I had to really learn how to be self-reliant on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I did, I, I walked away from that career and had to surrender it all at the altar. And, um, so does it, does it sneak back in? Absolutely. hundred mm-hmm. percent. But the way that he was faithful after I stepped down mm-hmm. and after he he took care of us and provided mm-hmm. for every little thing, I realized that, wait, I don't have to be afraid anymore. Right, right. He really is who he says he is, mm-hmm. and he's going to provide. And you wouldn't have known it if you hadn't walked away. See, that's the joy of surrender, but we're so... I can be so fearful of surrendering something because you just don't know what's around the corner. But that's why it's called a walk of faith. Do you think people are more open about talking about their anxiety and depression than they were 100 years ago? Not that you and I were around 100 years ago. (laughs) I think that the reason why we don't talk about it enough 
is because we don't realize how dangerous it really is. Mm. I think that we're excited about being busy. I think that we think it's cool to have too much on our calendar. Mm -hmm. I think when you talk to someone and they say, oh, I'm just so busy. You're like, oh yeah, I know I'm so busy too. And it's like this thing that we just embrace. And again, it's, it's busyness is a badge of honor. And Mm -hmm. until we stop this crazy chaos culture of it's not cool to rest, I think that we're going to bump up against this. Let's talk about this. So I think that a hundred years ago, we didn't have these problems. Right. We didn't have social media right in front of us where we could look at every fact or political mm-hmm. piece, you know, right in front of us. It's feeding us all this fear and anxiety. We didn't it. We didn't have all these extracurricular activities. It was more about church right. and family. And I mean, we could talk about like the blue laws where we're sab- like tr- people weren't even open on Sundays up until mm-hmm. like the sixties mm-hmm. is when that actually started happening. Right. So it's like the, the, the hundred years ago, there wasn't as much stress and anxiety because we weren't so busy as a culture. And I think now when we do say, Oh my gosh, I'm anxious or I'm, I'm struggling. It, we have to look at our lifestyle and what's happening. And nobody wants to do that. Mm-hmm. Nobody's ready to say less could actually be more. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why we're struggling to talk about it so much. Yeah. And also there's just, um, I think, especially as believers, if we are fearing something like we're living in anxiety, it's, it shows ourselves and perhaps our our fellow believers that we must be living in disobedience because God says to fear not. Mm-hmm. So how do you get over that um, feeling of being judged by others or even judged by yourself. Say, I should not be afraid because I am a child of God. So there must be something wrong with my faith. I think that's really dangerous to have that thought process. And I, I, I think the church needs to do a better job of talking about mental health. And just because you have fear doesn't mean you lack faith. Right. And I, 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 I think it's dangerous to tell someone that um, because I've been told that myself and it hurts. It's painful. It makes me question, you know, what it it makes you look at what am I doing wrong? What do I need to do better? And and an anxious person that's full of fear doesn't need to be examining, you know, what am I doing wrong? And is my faith strong enough? Now, do we need to work on building our faith? Do we need to work on um, overcoming the fears that are taking us back? Yeah, of course we do. I mean, we, we've got to partner with Jesus on that. But I think that if I have a mole on the back of my back, and I'm not saying I do, but if I did, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it could, it didn't look right. If I immediately was like, ooh, that makes me a little fearful that this could be cancer. <clears throat> right. That's an emotion. And God gave us that emotion. We should feel that, right? But what I do after that is what matters. Hmm. If I choose to lock myself in a bedroom and be depressed and anxious because my aunt died of melanoma and I'm afraid I'm going to die. And then I close myself out from the world for two weeks and don't deal with that fear. Then we could be walking into some sin. 
But if I feel the emotion of fear and anxiety in that moment, but then choose to turn to Jesus and pray and say, God, I've got this mole and I'm a little bit scared about it. Will you help me? Will you help me have peace in this moment and perhaps call a friend or account, you know, somebody else to help work through that fear with you? Then I think that that's okay. But to just to look at somebody and go, nope, God's word says, do not fear. You should not fear in this moment. That is damaging. And mm-hmm. we need to do a better job of helping people through that. How much is anxiety um, in biology or a chemical imbalance? How would we know that? How would someone listening today say, well, um, I'm taking medication because um, in our family, we call them happy pills (laughs) (laughs) because it makes me see life as if I'm no longer wearing my sunglasses. I mean, I've heard people say that to me. I couldn't believe I could actually see the world the way I'm supposed to. That's how much medication helped my friend. So uh, I guess I'm not sure you could even answer that question, but if someone is in deep fear and anxiety, what do you suggest they do as far as seeing a doctor, seeing a psychologist, a therapist, a pastor? First, you have to look at, can you carry out daily duties, daily activities? Mm -hmm. So for me, I was incapable of showering. Hair was falling out of my head. I wasn't eating. If somebody would have said, you need to read your Bible, you need to pray more. I would have helped. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I can't think. What do you mean yeah. pray? Mm. And like, that's just not going to work. Mm. So I think when you've gotten to the point where you can't do daily activities like showering or caring for your children, your body is at a point where it needs some help. Mm. So for me, I was stuck in flight or flight and I needed, you said happy mess or happy pills. I love that because you have happy messengers and sad messengers, right? And if our happy messengers or our sad messengers are too far up and we've got more than we have happy, we're going to have an out of balance kind mm. of situation. And that's what it was for me. Cortisol, adrenaline, uh, dopamine. I didn't have it. It, Mm. I I had too much and then I didn't have any dopamine and I needed a help from a Mm -hmm. pill to make that be better for me. And when I was able to take the medication and able to do it in the right way with a therapist, because I really, truly, this is my personal conviction, but if you are going to take an antidepressant or be in a rescue med like a Xanax or Xanax or something, you should be in therapy as well. Mm -hmm. Because my wise primary care physician looked at me and he said, Christine, I'm going to give you this antidepressant and it's going to help you. But if you don't get to the root of to why you're in Mm -hmm. here right now, Here's what's going to happen. You're going to come back a year from now and I'm just going to have to keep upping your prescription. Mm. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't want that for myself. No, no. In fact, the uh, pediatrician I talked to said um, she would not give the prescription unless the child she was helping would get into therapy. It had to be one to one. I thought she was a very wise woman. That is so wise. Yeah. So wise. Okay. So you probably got that. Well, yeah. I mean, really for their own sake, because they're just going to keep seeing the patient come back over and over. As a believer, do you think that there could be two extremes? One, that we discount our anxiety as not trusting God. That's something we've touched on enough. Or we fall into a pit of fear and we coddle ourselves. We coddle our fear. We feed the fear by sitting in our bedrooms and wrapping the blankets around ourselves and feeling sorry for ourselves um, as if we don't know a God full of love and power. To me, those are two extremes. And how do we get out of one or the other? Mm, 
beautiful question. I think I touch on this a little bit <clears> in the book. And I talk about how, so busyness isn't a badge of honor, but anxiety is not a badge of honor as well. And I think sometimes we get so comfortable mm-hmm. in our anxiety that we use it as an excuse to not go to a certain event or not, oh, my my social anxiety is so bad, I'm not going to go yeah. to this. Or right. when we know we're supposed to be going to church and being in community, right? So I think uh, I share an example about how I was afraid to go on vacation because I knew that my, my panic and anxiety started on a vacation. So I get Uh triggered anytime I go. Hmm. And so I was using that as an excuse to not go out and be with my friends. And Hmm. I knew that I needed to face that fear. Hmm. So I think facing our fears is really important, but I also am very careful about it because I know that when I get on an airplane, because that's what that started my fear and anxiety journey that I could be triggered. The body keeps score. It remembers Mm -hmm. that that happened to me. So what do I have to do? I can't just never go on vacation again. Nope. But what I need to (laughs) is pray. And I get my, my, my circle of my, my circle, my inner circle around me is like, Hey, I'm getting ready to travel. This could be a trigger for me. Will you please pray for me? Mm -hmm. Right. And then I, 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 I go through anything. I do thought dumps, which is things that I might be afraid of and get those thoughts out and then look at the truth of God's word and match those up with the lies that I might be leaving. So I think what's really important is be, have grace with yourself and the places that cause anxiety in your life, but do not let it hold you back. Mm-hmm. So it's like this like tension that you have of like, yes, it might be scary to walk into a room that you don't know anybody. And you might've had a panic attack last time that that happened, but are you working through that to fight through that fear? Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a balancing act. It's having mm-hmm. grace with yourself in the hard spaces, but then pushing yourself where you need to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me, my children are all different personalities. One is an extreme introvert like her daddy. And I think um, we can over push an introvert into an anxiety uh, situation, but also you can help train them to have the strength because they're going to be put in socially awkward situations. Every social uh, situation is awkward until you learn to mature and realize that people are not that scary and that they need you as well. It's interesting, even though I have large groups of people at my home, she'll come up to me and say, mom, do you have a job for me? So this is just a little thing, a little tip to, to say, yeah, honey, you make sure everybody has a drink in their hand or some hot chocolate if it's cold and uh, pass out the name tags. And she wants to do that. So it's kind of like a skill we're giving people. You're giving yourself a skill. Your skill set is to ask your friends for support when you know things are going to be more difficult. And I think it's just silly that Christians think they don't need each other. And we are better together. I know it's an overrun st- statement, but really, if I'm feeling down or low about something or anxious, I want a whole troop praying for me and speaking the truth of God uh, into my life. I mean, I'm speaking to 80 women next weekend, clear across the nation. I don't want to do that by myself, you know, and you don't either. And yet the only reason we can have the strength at all is because of God. And he wants us to step out and do something harder than we thought we could ever do. Explain this phrase, anxiety smoke alarms. So if a alarm went off right now while we're doing this podcast, a smoke alarm, we would have to stop because it's so loud and so yeah, obnoxious that you'd be like, Christy, I'm sorry, we're, we're going to have to take a pause, right? <laughs> yeah. So our body has built in smoke alarms in it. God has given them to us. And it's hmm. a beautiful, beautiful thing. But hmm. here's the thing. 
we don't pay attention to them. And we let these smoke alarms go on and on and on. And that's what my story was. Hmm. I had smoke alarms going off for years that I didn't know. Like what? Like what? It would be like tense jaw, clenched claw, really bad tightness in your jaw, Mm. tension headaches, specifically like in the back of your head and neck. Uh, You've heard the phrase, you're a pain in my neck. Well, that is stress and anxiety, or I've got mm. butterflies in my stomach, mm. stomach aches. That is a smoke alarm. Mm. When you cannot sleep and you've got so much inso- insomnia and it just goes on and on and on because maybe your thoughts are racing. Mm-hmm. That's a smoke alarm. Mm-hmm. So there's so many ch- uh, chest tightness. A lot of times people, for me, I explain it. It's like a rubber band is getting pulled across my chest mm. and it just feels really, really tight. Like anytime I start to feel that, I'm like, oh dear, that's a smoke alarm. And so what I've learned now is I know my body well enough that when these smoke alarms are going off, I need to do something about it. I cannot. Mm. Ignorance is not bliss. You have to do something about it. So I'm passionate about teaching about smoke alarms, getting people to understand what their bodies are are doing and, and, and doing something about it when you feel these smoke alarms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's why would we, why would we ignore it? Because we're so busy or because our identity is wrapped up in making sure we accomplish a certain number of things. I find that when I don't sleep at night, it's because I have so much on my to-do list that I'm anxious I won't finish it. And then that ruins it for the next day because you have a headache the next day for not sleeping. Uh, that's uh, My mentor had started me uh, memorizing swaths of scripture a few years ago, and I'm not very good at it. It took me about two years to do 17 verses. But let me tell you, those 17 verses will help you when your smoke alarm is going off in the middle of the night. And besides, Satan does not want you memorizing scripture, so he will help you go to sleep. So it kind of works as a good decompression. How do you overcome snowballing anxiety, anxious thoughts? That's something I was just talking about. Yeah. So the idea of when a snowball is at the top of the hill and it's little itty bitty, and then Mm -hmm. it starts rolling down the hill, what happens? Gets bigger. Bigger and faster and more powerful. Mm. So if you're at the end of that hill, it's going to just plow you right over. It's the same thing with our thoughts. There is science to back up the fact that when we have negative thinking, stinky thinking, that we are doing damage in our brains and we can rewire our neural pathways. Hmm. When we think positively when we have praiseworthy, excellent and noble thinking, we are actually changing the chemistry in our brain, which is going to make us be more peaceful physically. Hmm. So it's like, I love it when God's word matches up up with science because when we're called to renew our minds and take every thought captive, there's a reason why we're supposed to do that. So snowballing anxious thoughts is recognizing the snowball when it's at the top of the hill, recognizing the negative thought, like I've got the mole on my back. Oh my gosh, what if it's cancer? Instead mm-hmm. of going, oh my gosh, what if it's cancer? Oh my gosh, so-and-so died of this. Oh my gosh, I'm going to, and then planning your funeral. And mm-hmm. then that's where your, your thoughts yeah. go. It's stopping it right at the beginning and go, you know what? I believe that God's not going to take me off this earth one second too soon. If I'm worried about this, I'm going to go ahead and make a doctor's appointment right now. And until then, God, I'm going to trust you. Mm-hmm. So boom, you've stopped that snowball right at the top. So it doesn't have time to get bigger and then knock you out. Mm-hmm. So teaching people how to recognize those thoughts right off the bat is so powerful. If you want to overcome fear and anxiety. Do you think some people are more prone to anxiety than others? Absolutely. I, there, I, I, 
I mean, I don't have the studies in front of me, but we know that um, anxiety can be a thing that's carried down. But I don't think that we should say, oh, I get it from my mama. So I'm just going to like, that's what's going to happen to me. Right. We we can't own that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that the more that we renew our minds and understand how powerful our thinking is, that we can overcome those things that maybe Mm -hmm. genetics pass down to us. Yeah. Uh, Philip Yancey has a great uh, line where he says, breaking the chain of ungrace. And to do that, that means something that you were raised with that did not help you and didn't help your parents, but they didn't know it. And they passed down something to you or didn't pass down something to you that you need as a strong, peaceful believer. But you can change that with God's help and with a community of uh, believers to encourage you. Um, Tell me about your nonprofit and how that got started. So Fearless Unite is a nonprofit organization that puts programming out into the world that helps people overcome fear and anxiety. And we do that in a few different ways. We have free community events where we just gather a whole bunch of people in one room and we'll teach on a topic that creates fear and anxiety in people's life, teach them God's word, help them overcome, give them resources, mental health uh, resources. Then we have retreats where we get away in big, beautiful houses, about 30 women at a time, and we'll pour into them for an entire weekend. We've Mm. got one coming up in two weeks called the Breakthrough Retreat. Very excited about that. And then one of the things that I think that I'm most excited about is we do something called impact studies. These are Bible studies, but we call them impact studies. And we have 10 different studies available where you can watch video curriculum and um, take these courses. And they're all wrapped around God's word and specific um, examples of how to overcome fear and anxiety. We've got stuff on friendship and we've got stuff on surrender. I mean, it's just, it's really, really beautiful. So our whole organization exists to put out programming that's going to help you overcome fear and anxiety in a world that feeds it. And how can people find this? You can just go to fearlessunite.com and you'll see all of our resources. Wow. You are such a go-getter and now you're go-getting for Jesus, which is great. But let me um, caution you to make sure you take vacations, whether you like them or not. (laughs) Well-received. Well-received. It's true. It's so great. Christy, you uh, have been a delight. Let's talk about your legacy. What legacy do you want to make sure that you're passing down to those who know and love you? I love this question. And when I see bouts of fear and anxiety start to rise up in my children, Mm. the the fear is, oh my gosh, I don't want to pass this down to my kids. I don't want them to to have to walk through the same thing that I've walked through. So hopefully the legacy I want to leave is how to be faithful in fear and anxiety, how to be how to overcome the fears of this life and trust Jesus regardless. And that's Mm. what I want to pass down to my children. And how are you doing that right now? Teaching them that surrender to Jesus Christ is their number one thing. They go to a public school. It's really difficult to be a bright light. Uh, Teaching them that the narrow road, even though it's hard, is the best road to follow. Mm -hmm. Teaching them that God's word is the most important thing. Teaching them how to thought dump and doing that regularly. And prayer. We we always have prayer in our house. Mm -hmm. Um, What has been the biggest challenge to pass on that legacy for you? I think the world, what the world is feeding them. They come home and they hear things so 
different than what the gospel says. Hmm. And they're, they, they have their own questions and I want to honor those questions and give them space to think for themselves. But I think it's so hard. You just want to jump in and go, no, 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 no. Don't think that <laughs> yeah. way. Or no, yeah. no, no, don't listen to that. Or no, no, no. You mm-hmm. know, but I, I think what I'm learning is to let God do the work in their hearts and mm-hmm. me not force it down their throats. Mm-hmm. So um, to live a life that is the same in public as it is in private, I think is really, really important as well. So true. Cause the kids are the best at poking holes through any hypocrisy. And let me tell you, um, I think that uh, when the uh, COVID happened, I was kind of dismayed on social media to find the number of Christians, believers, so fearful. And I didn't want to be cavalier about it because people were dying in droves. But I also thought, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? Well, you just go to heaven sooner. Um, And so I think we had a great opportunity as believers, and we will continue to because there's another, you know, political season coming up um, where we have an opportunity to wear a banner of peace that no one else, no one else, if they're not a member of God's family, they only are resting in either some mantra that they're working on or something that they're contributing to society that makes them feel good about themselves, or they're just anxious. And I'm not saying that as a Christian, I never get anxious. That's not true. Why do you think I memorize scripture? I have three daughters, a man from Iowa. Of course I'm anxious. But the fact is we have an opportunity when bad things happen to show off what a difference it makes that we belong to Jesus Christ. And I know that that's what you're doing and you will continue to do it. Let me um, encourage you, young, young lady, that you are doing the right things and that God is honored and that your kids may not do it the way that you want them to in your timing. It's funny how kids don't, but they will never forget it, that you are teaching them about thought dumping and going to the word when they don't want to come to you. They will remember that. So don't worry about that part. And I just want to encourage you that you're doing a good thing. Now, tell me, I usually don't cry when I interview people. Um, How do you embody God's welcoming heart? It is my responsibility to understand the love of Jesus Christ. And I think Mm. we underestimate that anxiety could go away if we understood how much God really loves us. Mm. And perfect love cast out fear is a scripture that had to really come alive for me. I had to understand the depth and the magnitude of his love for me before I could really say God's perfect love cast out fear. So I think truly studying out what God's love is and what it means was so, so huge and me Mm -hmm. really embodying God's heart for me. Well, that really uh, does full circle because you start off by saying surrender was a thing and that is God's love that Jesus surrendered to his father's will for our sake. And that shows what true, um, how much God loved us. Um, I love ending on that note. I think that perfect love casts out fear and we will never understand love perfectly. So we will always have some fear. But I remember one of my favorite passages I learned in college, um, Ephesians 3.20, uh, but 
previous to that is uh, under, Paul was praying that he would understand or that they would understand how deep and wide and uh, all those other directions. I was not a math major. Anyway, how great God's love is. Love. And I thought, if Paul is praying that, then certainly I will pray that. And I began praying that and still do for all three of my girls. Because like you, I understood at that point, if they would understand how much God loved them, they could continue not to fear with their lives. And one just, you know, one just moved to New York. What am I going to do about that? I'm going to do nothing about that, Christy, except pray Ephesians 3 for her. One is going to move to Chicago pretty soon. Am I going to worry about that? On occasion. But mostly I'm going to pray that she understands the greatness of God's love for her. And so you have perfectly embodied the welcome heart of God because his welcome heart is based in his love for us. Christy, it's been a delight, a great encouragement. Christy, uh, you will be giving away a copy of your book and we thank you for that. So folks, those of you who are listening, if you need this book or you know someone who does, actually just... Um, enter in the contest, which would be leaving a comment and perhaps tagging a friend or two for more uh, giveaways. But I think you should buy two anyway and give one to a friend. Maybe say, I don't really think that you're anxious, but maybe someone in your family is so that they don't get offended. <laughs> <laughs> and sign up for uh, anything. And uh, one of those um, Bible, is it a Bible study they can get online or do they have to actually go to a retreat? No, it's an impact study that's a video series. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Wonderful. Well, great. Um, anything else you wanted to add before we close out? Can we do this again? You are incredible. <laughs> what an encouragement. I mean, you <sighs> encouraged me. I can't oh, imagine good. what everybody else is going to feel like. Oh, in this. Thank, thank you, you so well, much for encouragement. Well, you come out with a second book and we'll do it if I'm still alive. Okay. <laughs> okay. Hey, bye, dear. Thank you. Until next time, think about your legacy the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.